morning, Abundant Life Church. My name is Erin. I am the online campus pastor here at ALC, and I'm so excited to be launching and kicking off our new summer series called Being and Bearing. Being and Bearing. Say that 10 times fast. If you're like, what does that mean? I am going to tell you. This entire summer, for nine weeks, we are going to be going through the fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those fruit, uh, those characteristics of the living Spirit of God. We are going to be diving into each fruit each week. Now, we want to be mindful of being and bearing. So as a Jesus follower, we want to be more like Jesus. We want to be more loving, be more joy-filled, patient, kind, good. We want to be more like Christ. We also want to be in His presence and experience the goodness that He offers. And then from that being, we want to bear the richest, sweetest fruit. We want that fruit of the Spirit. Uh, we want to bear that fruit in our lives. Today is week one, and we are going to be looking at that first fruit, love. But before we do, it's important that we talk about the Holy Spirit. These are uh, the fruit of the Spirit. And so I think that it's important that um, we dive in and, and study the Holy Spirit a little bit. Before we do, I want to pray over this time. And so I invite you, before we open, to look at a variety of scripture. Will you pray with me now? Father God, we praise and worship you today. And we ask for the help of your Holy Spirit. Reveal to us the truth of who you are in these passages. Help us to know your heart and help us to lean in even when we don't understand. Use me as your mouthpiece, Lord, to deliver the truth about who you are and how much you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to begin uh, in John 14, verse 16 to 17. See, Jesus is preparing his disciples for his death and resurrection. Now, if you are one of his disciples and you have given up everything to follow him, this is an unsettling conversation. Uh, verse 16, Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. Later in that same chapter, but verse 25, I am telling you these things now while I am still with you. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Jesus knows that the advocate is coming. And, and while his disciples are confused, you're telling us about your death. Uh, yay, you're gonna be resurrected, but then you're gonna leave us again. What, who's gonna be here? Who do we follow? And it's the Holy Spirit. Now, maybe to you, the Holy Spirit is a part of the, of the Holy Trinity that feels foreign or whimsy. Maybe you just don't really understand it. Just the concept of the Trinity is hard to understand. Explain it to a child and whose face looks more confused. Sometimes as I'm explaining it to my children, I'm like, okay, 
I'm trying to use a language. It's hard. It's not much different explaining it to adults. By it, I'm of course referring to the Holy Trinity, uh, but the Trinity is comprised of three persons. There's an image here. I, I did my best to find an analogy. This is the best I could come up with as far as a visual. So if you look at this visual, you can see there, God is the Father. God is the Son. God is the Holy Spirit. And the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all God. There is one God, and I love that God circled in the center. There is one God, but three persons. And while each person is God, they're not each other. They're separate. The Father is not the Son or Holy Spirit. The Son is not the Father or Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father or the Son. There's those little is not. I'm hoping that I, I'm explaining this visual in a way. They are not each other, although they are all the one divine God. In this passage we just read, Jesus is speaking. He says, the Father will send the advocate as my representative. Jesus is speaking. Who will send? The Father will send. Who will he send? The Holy Spirit. Three separate persons. Now, what I find interesting is that the personhood of the Holy Spirit is often neglected. Sometimes the Spirit's treated more like a force than a person, but the Holy Spirit is not and it, scripture refers to him as he. He will teach you, this advocate, this Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything you need to know. Here are some more passages that are gonna come up on your screen. If you are interested this week in a little bit of Bible study on your own, you can find uh, more about the Holy Spirit and being a person, not an impersonal force like gravity. Scripture reveals that the Holy Spirit speaks. The Holy Spirit reasons, thinks, understands, wills, feels. The Holy Spirit gives personal fellowship and these are all qualities of personhood. Even still, I just wanna acknowledge that there is uh, a degree of mystery. Uh, we cannot fully understand the complexities of God, but we do have scripture to turn to as we seek and understand. And we have the living God to help us discern and understand him better. When you are seeking, you will find, it says knock and the door will be open to you. He wants us to pursue him and he will reveal himself to us. We're going to look at more scripture this morning. If you brought your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter one. So Jesus is crucified. It is dark and sad and heartbreaking. I mean, they knew it was coming, but you can know something hard is coming and just still feel the weight fully once the hard has arrived. Well, the hard's arrived and Jesus has been crucified, murdered in a absolutely brutal way. Well, three days later, he's resurrected and there is this celebration and there's this joy. And then I don't know if you've ever thought of it, but scripture tells us that it wasn't like Jesus resurrected and he appeared and then that was it. For 40 days, Jesus stuck around, walking the earth, uh, revealing himself, teaching in new ways. Uh, hopefully you're there in Acts chapter one. We're gonna begin in verse three to nine. And this is referring to Jesus. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time 
And he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. How cool would it be, oh, to be in that room? Not just immediately after, I mean, like the shock, I feel like would wear off maybe um, after a few days. For 40 days, they had access to the resurrected Jesus. I wish there were smartphones and that we could have captured like all those conversations. Instead, of course, there were not. And what we get is personal testimony in scripture. Let's keep reading verse four. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Imagine that for a second. You saw Christ crucified and then you saw him alive again for 40 days teaching you, you know, these disciples know they're on the winning team. Jesus has conquered death like he said he would. He has promised the Holy Spirit. And they're like, let's go. The victory's won. We're on the winning team, resurrected Jesus. What next? What next? And for 40 days, he continues teaching. Uh, Let's pick up again, uh, verse seven. They're asking him, Lord, has a time come for you to free Israel and restore the, your, our kingdom? Jesus replied, the father alone has the authority to set those dates and times and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him. For 40 days, the disciples had hard evidence of his living body communing with Jesus, that that Jesus is God and his kingdom is coming. They watch him ascend into heaven and then they wait for this promised advocate. The day after Jesus ascends, nothing. But the next day, still nothing. And the next day, and the next, if it were me, I'd be like, um, Jesus, we saw you. You, we get it. You ascended into heaven. You're, you're not accessible to us like you once were. Still, of course, accessible to us, but like now what? You said God will send the advocate. We know it's in his timing, but like God feels late, right? Where's the advocate? The next day, nothing. Nothing, nothing. Not until 10 days after Jesus ascends does God's promised advocate come. And this is where we're gonna uh, pick up if you're still following along with us in your Bible, Acts chapter two. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. The apostle Peter spends the rest of the chapter preaching to the people who are gathered there. Verse 38 gives us some of Peter's teaching. Uh, And and just to give you some insight, um, 
As a teaching pastor here at this church, there's a teaching team of pastors and every single week, you know, in months in advance, we're preparing and planning for future series. This uh, being and bearing series was dreamed up months ago and here we are. Well, in addition to that, each teaching pastor sends the whole team their notes, like their, their manuscript of what they will be teaching. And we very open-handedly ask each other, help, uh, shed insight, show me what I might be missing, help me uh, with the Holy Spirit and your life experience and your insight, improve this message for our people. What does God want for me and all of us in this message? And so, just that's a little background. For me reading this, it's like we get some of Peter's teaching. Verse 38, Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And of course, we know that by save yourselves, he means uh, choose to receive the free gift of salvation offered in Jesus Christ. Verse 41, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. Talk about a great sermon. I mean, no pressure. Clearly, Peter nailed it. He was firing off hard truth, but truth nonetheless, and the people were hungry for it, and they were baptized, and 3,000 were added to the church that day. Jesus knows that the Holy Spirit of the living God is worth celebrating. Now, the Holy Spirit doesn't become our spirit. When you decide to be a Jesus follower, uh, when you accept and receive the free gift that Christ offers, we, we are given the Holy Spirit, but we don't become the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, remember, is still that separate person uh, as part of the Trinity. But he helps us. He helps shape our hearts to transform, to be more like his. And this is what pursuing the fruit of the Spirit is referring to. It's an intentional effort to align our spirit in becoming more like God, taking on the attributes and characteristics of him. Love is given by God to us. Love is grown and multiplied by God and he helps us to become more like him. Now, I've heard people manipulate this to being like a, well, I don't need to become like anyone else. I am who I am and and I'm proud of that. And to that, I'd say, yes, You, if you are feeling that way, you are who you are and God made you and you are beautifully and wonderfully made and God delights in you. And I celebrate that fact. And also, I know I can get stuck in my pride if I am unwilling to pursue the fruit of the Spirit. I want to be more like Christ. Yes, I love myself. I have self-love. Aaron, I know that God made me and loves me. And I don't feel all sorts of like, oh, I'm terrible. But I want to be more like him. And I need his help to produce fruit in my life that does not come naturally to me. His ways are higher than our ways. 
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These uh, are not individual fruits that sometimes God is sometimes. This is who he, it's all encompassing. He is always all of those things. Today, let's experience the perfect love of God. And let's be a reflection of that love. In Matthew 22, Jesus' disciples were asking him, you know, which commandment is the most important. In verse 37, Jesus answers their question. It'll come up here on the screen for you. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. In John 13, 35, also directed toward the disciples, Jesus says, so now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Are you an individual known by your love? Are we a church known by our love. John 15, nine to 13 says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Remain in my love. This is that being part of love. Be loved. Remain in the love. Acknowledge the love of your father. Abide in his love and adoration for you. And I don't know who you are today and how that strikes you, that God sees you, the creator of the universe, the creator of you. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He sees you and he loves you as you are today, not for who you could be, some potential, but who you are right now. You are loved by God. Abide and remain in his love today. Then from that love you've received, let it pour out of you to others, not in like an empty yourself kind of way, but in like an overflowing love kind of way. And, and um, I have a picture analogy actually that I wanna show you and explain. So water, I want you to think about water as the love of God. So in this first picture, maybe you think about God as the water pitcher and you go to God as a source of love when your cup feels empty. You drink up some love, fill your cup, hoard it till you don't feel it anymore. Or maybe the water analogy, it evaporates. I don't know, but it, you, you have some water, you have some love from God, and then you don't or you stray and then you come back and you get more. This is not the overflow that Jesus invites us into. But what if we fill up on love and then go give that love away? So this next picture, it gets closer to the idea of loving others and giving love away. But whether it be to one person, two in this picture or a hundred, if we're not connected to the source at all times, we will be left poured out and depleted. As you can see from that uh, first cup there, clearly if that's your love tank and you've been giving it away, you can see it depleting. 
And I think it's possible to just run out and feel on empty. If we are not connected to the source, we'll be left poured out and depleted. Again, missing the point of overflow. But what if instead we remained connected to the source of love and allowed love to overflow from us? This next picture, God doesn't ask us to pour out until we're empty. He promises to flood us with so much love that we can give and love from a place of overflow. Even still, a pitcher and a faucet just don't seem adequate when talking about the love of God. So I want uh, you to watch this short video. And as you do, imagine, you know, in that last image, your cup with the possibility to overflow to so many other people. Imagine holding that cup up to this water source. Check this out. that when we sit and ponder and meditate on the goodness, the love of God, it is a form of worship. And He is glorified in that. When we take in the beauty of His creation and uh, celebrate His love, that is worship. Remaining connected to the source is not as easy, I know, as I, it might sound like I'm describing sticking your love cup up to the side of Niagara Falls. It's like, that's not even, you can't even do that, okay? But I know it's hard. In a world full of distraction, anxiety, fear, stressors, confusion, disruption, remaining connected to God as the source of love in our life requires a lot of intentionality. If you're like me, it requires a daily prioritizing of your faith, a daily prayer of God, help me to die to myself, to my own will, to my own desires. Lord, stir in me a passion for what your heart is passionate about. The default fruit of my spirit is often pride, selfishness in a home with six kiddos, often impatience, even resentment. But the first fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and he gives it freely and it's meant to be shared. So what is the way of love? How do we abide in it? What does it look like? If you've ever been to a wedding, you likely have heard 1 Corinthians 13. I wanna read it today. Feel free to follow along on the screen or just close your eyes and hear the truth in this passage. I'm reading it from the message in hopes that it's a different enough version to where you'll hear it with fresh ears and a fresh open heart. It says, if I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day. And if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump, 
and it jumps. But I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel. No, love, love takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Love never dies. Each week in the series, as part of our teaching, there's gonna be a testimony portion included. And the teaching pastors, as we prepare to teach on the fruit, we are praying and asking that the Holy Spirit reveal to us a person that we can see overflow of this fruit in their lives, knowing that it's not by their own credit or doing, but that it is because of their pursuit of Jesus, their pursuit of being more like God. As I was reading through this first Corinthians passage in my preparation, Kay McGath came to mind. If you are a woman and you have done any of our women's Bible studies through Crosswalk, you know Kay McGath. You know that she has a beautiful heart and is a very loving individual. I have asked her to share a little bit about this journey of cultivating Jesus-like love in her life. And she has so graciously agreed to share part of her testimony with you. Now, the flow of service is a little different. So after this video, uh, we are going to, the worship team's gonna come up again. We are going to take communion. If you are at one of our campuses, there's a, a pastor or prayer partner there uh, ready to give you the elements as you come forward. If you're at home, grab your bagel and OJ and you can participate in communion with us. And as you take uh, the, the bread, the body of Christ, as you take the drink representative of his blood poured out, be and sit and enjoy the love of your father. Ask that he will help you in sharing that and experiencing overflow of love in your life. I pray today that each of us, and as you watch Kay's video, are able to experience the perfect love, this perfect fruit of our heavenly father. Enjoy this message from Kay. you will think of the verse I'm about to share with you as I tell you my story. 1 Corinthians 13 7 says, Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. I am fortunate. I have always been loved. I came to faith in Jesus Christ not through fear of judgment, but through profound gratitude that he would love me with such a sacrificial love. 
unconditional sacrificial love was modeled by my parents. They were each products of broken homes with fathers who abandoned them. Yet they learned to love well. They were devoted to each other, to our family, and to their faith. My parents believed that loving others was key to living out their faith. They demonstrated this conviction over several years, supporting my two older sisters who had married too young. At the end of my seventh grade year, their marriages over, both of my sisters moved back home, along with their five very young children still in diapers. Dad took extra jobs. Mom cared for my nieces and nephews. One sister earned her GED. Both found work, and we got through it. Looking back, my sisters and I marvel at the unconditional love shown us by our parents through this challenging time. We never once heard either of them say, how could you do this to us? Or, I told you so. They simply modeled Jesus for us. Years later, married and with three children of my own, I experienced a phenomenon so profound that I can attribute it only to the Holy Spirit. It involved God bringing a young, uh, emotionally traumatized woman into our lives in 1985. Ministering to someone as troubled as she was did not come naturally, but we did our best despite her many efforts to sabotage our relationship. It was hard. It took over two years for her to begin to trust me and more years for her to trust Raj. This is where the phenomenon part comes in. We wanted to throw in the towel many times, but never at the same time. I would say, I cannot do this anymore. And my husband would assure me I could, or he would be fed up. And I would say, she needs us to be Jesus to her. We have to keep going. After seven years of pouring love into her with little visible difference, I was emotionally and mentally exhausted. By now, she had moved in with us and had been living with us for two years. She exhibited classic symptoms from childhood abuse, clinical depression, anxiety, PTSD, inability to trust or connect with other people. My family was preparing to move to Oregon. I wanted to leave her behind. Realizing that she was not ready to make it on her own, my husband suggested that we bring her with us. So I found myself at a crossroads. Choose obedience to Jesus' call to love at any cost, or give in to my selfish desire to be done. I chose love. So thankful that I did. I had the distinct pleasure and honor of watching our Lord grow all of us up in Him over the next 27 years until her death in 2019. Would not have missed this ride for anything and I think you'll understand why as you listen to something that she wrote in 2012. Jeremiah 29:11 says, 
for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. My whole life is centered around the word hope. However, it started out being the opposite of hope. As a child, my life was filled with abuse of all kinds, and the word hope took on a negative meaning for me early on. This is to say I felt completely hopeless for a very long period of time. San Diego in my teens is where I first came to learn that people could actually love me. Through the perseverance and patience of two very loving and caring, yet quite human people named Kay and Roger McGaff, I began the very slow and painstaking process of learning to love and be loved by other people. After all we've been through together, it still amazes me, amazes me that we all still love each other. Now that's God. First, they loved me. Then after a long time, I loved them too. I believe a person must first know love before being able to feel hope. I knew there was a God, and through the example of others, I began the slow process of realizing that God did indeed love me, and He had loved me all my life. I learned that while I was a child, feeling no hope or love, He had always had His hand on me. Soon I loved Him too, and I accepted Jesus as my Savior. I didn't and still don't understand all that happened to me and why, but I have developed faith and trust in my Savior that He has my best interest at heart. Most importantly, however, as His child, my life is His to do with as He will. God is love.